Hey, everyone, and uh, and welcome to another wonderful, wonderful episode of Podcasts and Players. And today, uh, as I might have hinted or flat out said uh, on the last episode, which at the time of recording this happened three days ago, I have a new guest on. Uh, someone who I've been kind of, I mean, I want to get a lot of people on, but I especially wanted to get this guest on because they are a very prolific, uh, writer for supplements for 5e games. Their, uh, Kickstarter, I just found out, reached, uh, 1.6 million for the Seeker's Guide to Twisted Taverns. They also wrote, uh, Sybil's Codex of Creatures, I think, and they have a YouTube channel called Runesmith. Please give it up for Logan, everybody. Yay, I heard of that guy. He's pretty good. Uh, yeah, Stibble's Guide to, or sorry, Stibble's Codex of Companions. Then the Seeker's Guide. Stibble's, too. I forgot the T. And then the super secret one we're working on now. Uh, the name actually has been released. It's called The Sunken Isles. And I am just working nonstop on that. That's actually the only thing I've been doing all day today and yesterday. Yeah. I've, we've been working all night. I, I made a, a probably by the time this releases that'll already be out on my channel. But I made a really complex animated GIF that's like fifty frames, like frame by frame. Yeah. How, how individually do you, animated? How uh, do you find and, the patience for that? Um, because it's fully colored too. Like it's, I think it's shaded as well. A little bit. I put a filter uh, over it to oh. just. <laughs> Save me some time. He cheated. Yeah, but like, a little bit. <laughs> regardless of that, it still took it. Like it takes a whole night of nonstop focus doing frames and frames. Like how do how do you still keep the 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 idea of what the final product is going to be each step of the way? Because that commitment feels so foreign to me. Well, uh, I think having a baseline of like skill helps because i'm confident enough like i know what i can do yeah and so i'll think of a concept of like an animation and be like i could do that like that's challenging but that's not impossible like i know how to i know how that could be done but like it, it generally i wouldn't do that for anything it has to be something i really want to animate okay. and uh this is a character i play in the antumber game on mondays with uh, captain cheeky Vitamin Dieter, Eldritch Sugar, Fell the Lab, and some other people. Tabaxi Cafe as well. And um, it's been going on for like a year. It's one of my favorite games I've ever played. And we're I think we're not even like, we're just about to reach that halfway point because we're taking our <laughs> sweet ass time. Like we're all still just level six after a year. Oh my God. We've been level six for months. <laughs> level six, I think that's the turning point. You uh, No, level five is, but... After that, it's like you can fully have a really genuine story at that level with like uh, compelling and powerful characters, but they're not over the top. Like when they hit level 11 or so, then it's like, okay, <laughs> now it's, yeah, we're off the rails. But that's, that's a good place to be. I saw that your character and it looks like uh, Fell the Lebs also are pirates. Is it a pirate themed campaign through and through? No, we we strong armed cheeky and said we're all gonna play pirates, uh. <laughs> whether or not you had that planned, uh, which was kind of funny. That's really because cool. I I had the idea for this character Ra a while back. Like I thought I was gonna I was trying to make this really weird fusion of classes because I liked a multi class, mm -hmm. and she was gonna be I wanted all right, so I wanted to make a blade singer. 
Oh. But I wanted her to have really high constitution. Oh. And I, I succeeded in that. But as for the secondary class, I thought, well, maybe with that high constitution, I'll make her a, uh, a barbarian. And then she doesn't have to wear armor and she can use her constitution and her decks, which she already needs to have high anyway. Yeah. To, like, you know, be her AC. Mm-hmm. There was some problems with that, mainly that I dumped strength and I you need to have strength for like melee weapons like the blades that they use right well for blade singer you can use a finesse weapon oh yeah you to okay. have dex. but like to multi-class into barbarian you have to have a high strength generally that's yeah. a requirement and I know cheeky would have let me do it but I was already asking for some custom stuff because she's a fire genasi and there's like not really any feats for them mm. I mean there is but like you have to really dig yeah, avoid the homebrew balancing. And so I was like, well, I'm already asking a lot. I'll just I'll just figure something else out. But uh yeah, I ended up I'm going to like kind of retool her soon. She's going to be mostly wizard, mostly blade singer with like one level of fighter. Oh, that fits the idea better, I think. It's interesting yeah. that mostly wizard when you're in the fray in the front of combat with what the d6 a d4 hit points she's incredibly tanky does she uh, you have to take that feat that's like a absolute the, the feat that gives you like two hit points every level oh tough i was gonna grab it yeah. last level yeah, i actually don't have though. that yet it's almost better to take it at later levels well no that's not true i mean it's a there's, nice... there's no detriment in waiting i think for the most part yeah I, the, well the, the detriment is can you survive all those levels yeah <laughs> um but <laughs> i'm trade-off the, the the character I made, her ACs... The thing about Blade Singers, I really like them, and especially the way that they redid them in Tasha's for a couple of reasons. First of all, wizards have really cool, like, funky melee spells that, like, normally a wizard would never yeah. use because you're a wizard. Mm-hmm. Like Vampiric Touch is a really good example. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good example. Uh, there's a, a couple other... Life Transference is great, actually, and it's one oh. I'm going to use with her because... Life transference is a better healing spell all in all than like other healing spells of the it, same is, level. It, is that an official one? Yeah, it's a it's a wizard spell uh, from uh, what was it? Um, Xanathar's guide. But that makes sense. the The drawback is you hurt yourself, right? Which is why yeah. wizards normally wouldn't use that because they're like, uh, I have like five hit points at level oh, 10. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> I like, see where you're I'm going. not going to use life yeah. transference. But I have high constitution, right? So here's, okay, let me, I'm going to just fucking gush about Ra for a second because we've opened that can of worms. You're just a cleric with extra steps. Uh, kind of. We have a cleric who's better at healing than me, but. <laughs> the fallback. I like blade singers because they're. They're weird wizards that can do what other classes can do and in some ways do it better. The only thing that she doesn't do very well is deal lots of damage. She's good at, like, poking. She could poke the enemy to death, but she's not going to, like, do big hits like a smite from, like, a paladin can do or something. But, uh, yeah, Ra is really cool because she's... She has Warcaster, and then the Blade Song also allows you to add your intelligence modifier to your uh your concentration checks oh okay and you get uh advantage with warcaster so i she's like never losing concentration on anything which means i can run spells like blur or a uh, haste and be just like this fucking blinding flash of like deadliness fiery swords spinning around like oh and with the um 
Blitzong, you add your intelligence to your AC. So oh. her AC is already pretty good at like 16 with Mage Armor up. So then it goes up to 19 because she got a 16 intelligence. That's level 6. At level 6, a 19 AC. And then the shield spell, <laughs> which is another 5 when you need it. So that's 24. So she ticks. She could just like sit yeah. in the middle of combat, just spinning around and poking everything. Yeah, that's, that's actually a more accurate... Uh, use of the word tank because when you think like tank in video games it's like oh it's this huge fat flesh blob that I have to shoot a bunch of times but no a tank is impenetrable but it's easy it's a glass cannon sort of sort of the she's like the opposite she's just like the immovable object yeah right because because there's like a lot of hit points and then a lot of AC I feel like a, a tank like by definition has more AC than it does hit points but uh yeah like proportionally or something yeah because she's she got she got both. She, with her high constitution, yeah. she has the second highest hit points of the party, and she's mostly a wizard. Hmm. Because she has an 18. I made that her highest stat. Yeah. Because no one does that in d and I don't know if you noticed Not in like, games no. you've played. People Most aren't people, very creative. But, yeah, they, they usually, like, if you're playing, like, a barbarian, I notice people will, like, front load their uh, constitution, because that's, like, used. Yeah. But, like, a rogue, for example, with a highest stat constitution you never see that <laughs> no nah, because people it, people treat it like a video game when they don't really want to role play so a lot of it just falls into what is the meta what is effective and convenient for this class's abilities like they're looking into synergies and we've already got the synergies figured out because the system's been out for so long so deviating from that is really uncommon because people want to win instead of make cool characters yeah i uh cheeky actually made a video about that a little bit mm. um where he said, uh, he's like making a character or whatever, and some guy's like, oh, but the optimal decision is to do this. And like, optimal for like what? Kiwi. Yeah, or like it was a warlock, and he was like, oh, I'm going to play well, warlock. Oh, you should play Hexblade. It's the optimal yeah, choice. No, but what I mean to challenge that type of mentality, what is it optimal for? Like, what's, what's your end game? What's the reason that you want to optimize your character for what damage stats? Because that's not exclusively what D&D is about. That's what uh, Chainmail was about back in the 70s. Right, right. Well, yeah, his video is essentially complaining about that. Like, <laughs> like, don't tell me what's optimal or yeah. I'll fucking kick your ass. <laughs> I think Jacob made a video about that, how human fighters are fun. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah. just do what you want. Let's, we, we've had a nice a little bit of an icebreaker. <laughs> we have some stuff we want to talk about, like uh, art and music and all sorts of stuff. But yeah. um, I want to just start... I gotta do some preliminary questions because, you know, who the heck are you? Like, what do you? Who are you? What do you do? That's a question I ask myself every time I wake up. So yeah, I think I don't even know because I I've done so many different things and I've tried like exerting my energy in this direction and then when I'm done there I go in a different direction. So I started uh, with Jacob's channel, obviously, as a lot of people know, in XP to level three. I helped him. Uh, kind of put together some concepts. I think I came up with the the name for the channel. He taught me editing. And then from there, I made my own channel. And that uh, got really lucky and took off. But it's not something that I intended to do. Like, I didn't plan on being an effective personality online. I expected to be someone in the, like, the sidelines or the background, which is nice now that I'm more, like, directing and writing the, the progress of books where I can kind of sit behind this supplement and then release it and let people see that. So that that currently is more what I think 
I, I do is just write books and come up with these stories and these settings and places that people can explore as their characters and kind of tell their own stories through. And that's more or less what my channel uh, for a while has focused on instead of like jokes or skits or anything is just I want to make sure that people know how to tell the story that they want to. Yeah. So I've provided advice on my channel and then I'm providing settings um, under Eldermancy, which is the the current working title or company that is is making the books that I make. Awesome. And that's a good that's a good in a nutshell sort of explanation for people cuz like yeah. I think there's this um trouble that comes with being a sort of uh I guess you call it like a renaissance man, right? Like Yeah. <laughs> being able to do fair. lots of stuff and then it's like what do you do? And you're like Oh, uh, what don't I do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like, I, I, I want to do a bunch of stuff locally. Like, I'm really interested in starting up mycology and starting up, like, I, I want to build a forge in my backyard. I want to do gardening. There's so many different interests that I have. It's hard to find the time for all of them. So right now, I'm focusing on the most lucrative one before I can fall back into uh, growing some cucumbers for myself. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's tough, but it's also, I mean, I, I think, like, part of it probably comes from a place of like getting bored with the one thing all the time you know yeah and that just i think that could just stem from like not being content yeah honestly like i was talking to uh dingo a while back and asking her like how do you just sit down and just pump out the fool's gold episodes and just that's yeah. like mostly what you do like she can she to talked about how like oh yeah i'll go into the office and then uh, when I'm done, I'll have like a minute of animation finished. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> to be fair, she technically does, uh, for the most part, animatics, which is um, like a, a visual storyboard. So there's yeah. no there's no frame by frame. Right. right. It's a limited. But it's, the fact it's that the videos, animation. the videos are like 11 minutes. So that's the amount of work that goes into them is absolutely the same as anything else. It's an amazing series. Like, it is, yeah. People follow it for a reason. I, I, I mean, I love it. Honestly, like, I owe Ding a lot. I just, I don't understand how she's so productive. Oh. And I'm like, it's just... And how you stay productive like that. Exactly. Because uh, I was talking about how, like, well, I like doing the podcast, for example, because I like having variety. Mm -hmm. I, if I had to just sit and only animate, and that's all I was doing, I'd go yeah. insane. Because you were asking me, like, how did you, like, make yeah. that... Exactly. Loop or whatever. How'd you have the patience? And I think it's because I knew how long vaguely it would take and that I could do it. And then once it was done, now I'm not going to animate anything for the rest of the day. Cause like my wrist hurts and I was just, oh, that's, relax. yeah, that's smart. Setting um, reasonable goals for yourself. Yeah. I'm not sure if this was reasonable, <laughs> but it's definitely good to know when to stop. Yeah. You accomplished <laughs> it. And I think that, that by definition means it was somewhat reasonable. It was doable for sure. Uh, it looks great. I'm, I'm staring at it as we yeah, speak, still and I'm just open. like, oh. <laughs> I do. It's it's really hypnotic, actually. Yeah, I did a good job. No, <laughs> oh, yeah. You asked me earlier, because I made a little song to go mm -hmm. with it, too. So, as a fellow Renaissance man, you were asking me about, like, where I learned uh, how to make music. Yeah. And I guess it's like, I was never taught anywhere. I didn't go to school. I'm all self-taught for, like art and music and almost everything I know. I, I assume self-taught because self-taught is a sort of ironic phrase because um, you use the environment around you to kind of learn how to go. Do you do like any specific tutorials that you reference a lot or do you just kind of 
play it by ear and keep it all in your brain? I think it's a lot of experimentation and playing it by ear for me. Because uh, I don't know music theory. Oh, yeah, me either. And so, like, I it's interesting because making music for me is almost entirely the right side of my brain uh, in the sense that, like, I can talk about art mm-hmm. i like like my my left side understands art enough that i could like explain to you the concepts of like animation and stuff like that yeah. that i'm aware of and i use with music it's the language i can't put it into words it's just like music is its own language I just know, yeah, you can't translate it to english yeah I, well there are there actually are names for like the chords and all that stuff but like i don't know those names and i don't know how to describe them so it's like if I hear a chord, I'm like, oh, it's that chord. Like, I can identify yeah. it by ear without knowing what it's called. That, and then, like, I could recreate it in my software. I feel like that can become a detriment in certain situations. But it's such a powerful skill to have when you're just kind of doing it yourself. Because there's no way to translate it to other people or to explain it very easily. Like you said, aside from just creating. And that's kind of interesting. But I feel like if you know the chords, there's a certain strength that comes from like literally just knowing exactly what you're doing instead of playing it by ear all the time, which is fun. And you come up with stuff that people who um, know the rules would never come up with because you start to get rigid at that point. So there's an interesting it's not a fine line, but there's an interesting line between just doing whatever the heck you want and then knowing what you're doing. Yeah, because the outcome is equally creative. It's just a two different styles i guess i was uh told one time when i was working at a uh, barnes and noble years ago mm. by my manager who was uh, she went to this really prestigious art school and like was an amazing artist she was like writing her journal and stuff and had like a bunch of like very hyper realistic looking birds that she would just doodle and i'm like i cannot believe how, like you're that good <laughs> but she told me because i would also make little comics and mm-hmm. stuff and she was like i envy you and i'm like why She's like, well, you aren't constrained by the rules yeah. of art. You just do what you want. And I wish I could do that. And I'm like, well, you can do that. She's like, no, because I think about everything through the lens of what I learned when I was in school. And I'm like, thinking in my head, like, okay, that's valid. I understand where she's coming from. I also still think she could unlearn that or she could learn to, like, take the lens away. Yeah. That just takes effort as well. That's extremely you know I mean? difficult. Once you have learned something, especially when you have like you've dedicated a part of your mind into believing it, removing a belief that you hold, however close to your heart or however much you practice that belief, it's like it's really hard to let go, which is why a lot of people Mm -hmm. struggle with being creative, being like themselves being expressive is because it's um, it's foreign. It's it's easier to overthink things and kind of become constrained by your own mentality yeah it, you're like i mean you mentioned it before it's like a double-edged sword yes but uh let's so i want to ask you uh a couple things like just out of curiosity mm-hmm. and i don't know maybe this has been covered before in uh a podcast that i'm not aware of but also for the posterity of our listeners how did you meet uh, Jacob, were you guys schoolmates growing up or? Yeah, we were. Um, myself and most of the crew that he does, uh, Arcane Arcade with is either from the church group that we used to go to or from the high school that we used to go to, which was actually, 
it was an interesting high school that my brother went to the first year that it opened, and then we all kind of jumped in there just randomly. Uh, it opened on a college campus, and it was a preparatory high school for universities, so you could take college classes while you were there. Oh. It was a really interesting concept, but the problem was all the weirdest kids in the, the city went there because it was such a weird concept for a school, so no one really cared. It was just kind of this hodgepodge <laughs> of interesting personalities. Um, That's awesome. And Jacob was very much a theater kid, and I was kind of the you know the, the generic little kid that doesn't like thinks he knows everything because he got bullied when he was little um <laughs> but we had a mutual friend who kind of didn't really want to hang out with us so <laughs> we would hang out together and then he slowly started disappearing and then suddenly it was just jacob and myself and we were like you know what let's just bond over 300 hours of skyrim and halo and that's Kind of how we got together, got to hanging out. Um, he had already had a YouTube channel by that time. Um, and he had made a few just like small videos when he was a lot younger. I don't know where those are. He's probably, I think he still uses the same channel. He's just hidden those. But um, it was interesting that he did that. And then with his first D&D video, uh, we got introduced to D&D over a mutual friend um, at church that we had a really interesting relationship with. But um, after kind of ex exploring because we started with 3.5 and then we jumped into 5e and um, Jacob with his kind of theatrical background of uh, the concept of the heroes always win and it's this super fun epic he made that first video on his channel it's uh, I forget which one it was uh, I think character motivation or something it was trying to find a way to, I forget what it was, but it was just a video that we kind of slapped together that he just pulled out of camera and he's like, let's just make this because we want to. And uh, we, we kept continuing to do that. And that was, shoot, I, I don't, I honestly don't know the timeline. I think 2020 destroyed all of our hindsight. <laughs> That's fair. It's, um, it might be pleasing for you to know that I actually discovered you before I discovered uh, XP level three. That's interesting. How'd that happen? Yeah, actually, I only discovered who Jacob was because you were already associated with them. <laughs> but I found you on, uh, I think, Twitter as RuneSmith. And I was like, because I think Aiden was like talking to you or, or something. And I knew who Aiden was. And so I was like, oh. And then I went to your channel and then you had your like guides of like, uh, was it like basically yeah. the Feywild and stuff like the, that? The most effective and well-known series that I'm honestly just out of material for, but it's the one that had the most draw. It was a lot mm. of fun to do because it, it was a concept. I've said this on a couple of podcasts. I honestly, I'll admit, I forget the names of some of them. Um, but it was like I was making a, a video on devils and I was basically just reading word for word from the book. And I was like, this is just transcribing. This is nothing. This isn't content. So I was like, what if I just stopped caring to get it right? And just started like taking jabs and making jokes and that video did the best out of any videos on my channel so i just kept following that that concept of basically i don't care about this or this monster or whatever it's like here's here's a really brief comedic approach and uh that's kind of how my channel took off yeah i people like comedy honestly i i was looking at a video that i put out recently that i was like just I think it was like a it was a Smash Brothers character 
because Sora got re- revealed, and I decided to like put them all on a tier list. But I don't play Smash Bros, so <laughs> I don't talk about the meta or like the controls. I just talk about whether I I think they're neat or not. <laughs> like the characters themselves, or just the design. Yeah, just like oh, do, oh, oh, yeah. This is a cool character. They they belong in Smash. They're neat. Uh, <laughs> all right, this guy, and then like. So anytime I came across a Fire Emblem character, I just put them in the bottom tier that just said Fire Emblem. I'm like, that is a Fire Emblem character. And I just moved right along. I didn't even like acknowledge it. And I remember I, I showed uh, I, uh, I showed the video to Ink and Ink was just like, you motherfucker. He was getting so mad at me. Like, how dare you put them in the bottom tier? And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just putting them there for now because I don't know where else to put them because I don't know anything about Fire Emblem. Comedic. Uh, oh, fuck. I had the word, and then it literally just blanked my mind. What was it? I uh, I I know what you're driving at, and and yeah. like when I was looking at the spikes when people would like go into the middle of the video, it's whenever I like did like a joke or a meme type moment where I like didn't know where to place something, so you see all the, like the numbers flying across the screen and like this oh, yeah. epic music playing as I'm like trying to figure out where to place Zero Suit Samus or whatever. <laughs> it's fun to just kind of lead into cliches because because you can do the whole blown out of proportion thing. Where there's definitely a fine line between comedy and just references. And it's it's fun to just kind of explore your own identity in those lanes. Yeah. I mean, a lot of comedy comes from imitation. Yes. Comes from, like, seeing stuff. Behavior comes from imitation. God, like, it's not like anyone's going to claim ownership over a fart joke. No. Like, oh, I invented fart jokes. Like, no, we all enjoy it. Anyone can make a fart joke. Anyone can, yeah. you know. If you can't it, smell it, it's hilarious. Honestly, if you can smell, I think it's even better. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like, yeah, I I don't know. Humor is, I was talking with somebody, it was actually my last podcast and players episode with uh, Mario. Uh, He was talking about how like comedy is harder to write than drama. Oh, absolutely. Because when you make material, you want to take it kind of seriously because it's, it's you expressing something that you have to say. So you want to make sure it's done right. And then comedy is kind of intentionally doing something wrong, which is hard to do consistently because then you, you start to intentionally try and make comedy and you can never do comedy right. And that's kind of where the problem stems from. Yeah. And with drama, what makes the joke. Yeah. With drama, I, I noticed too, like it's not, I mean, people are able to get lost in drama more easily. Like, Okay, let's say I have a, a mediocre script for a drama movie. If okay. the casting is good, music is on point, and everything else is just mediocre like the script, it'll still do well generally because people who like drama yeah. will be willing to get lost in the drama even if it's not that great. People really like to kind of yes. get in, uh, invested Law and Order is a great example of that. Yeah, yeah. But comedy, you can't fake it, right? Like, No. You, you, it's extremely obvious. There's something – yeah, there's something interesting about that. There's like a depth of um, when – everyone can immediately tell when you're trying to be funny, but not a lot of people can tell when you're trying to be dramatic. Yeah. I, it, yeah, in, in a sense, it's like I think people – like for stand-ups and stuff, like the ones who do really well, obviously the premise is the same. We all know like if you're in the audience for a stand-up special, you're there to hopefully not be a heckler and hopefully to like actually be entertained and laugh. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like that's the idea. And 
we have this sort of innate sense of when someone's trying too hard and yeah, like that's it comes from cringe it's this, this similar thing yeah you have to have a sort of you have to have a confidence you have to be at home up on like wh- whatever your platform is i was gonna say up on the stage as like a stand-up yeah. but like even in your videos or whatever sort of medium you choose to use if you're uh doing comedy you have to sort of have a basic like confidence that what you're saying is funny. Yeah. one of the reasons why norm mcdonald's jokes landed more than they should have sometimes is because he's got mm-hmm. that shitted and grin all the time yes and that delivers it because people know that he's amused with what he's saying and because mm-hmm. he's amused by it even if you normally wouldn't laugh it makes you want to laugh with him Yeah. And an interesting thing about that is for a lot of people, it's impossible to contrive confidence. And there are a lot of uh, really terrible comedians who pretend that they're confident, uh, but their confidence is just uh, like being extremely defensive about how good they are, even because they know that they aren't. Like um, if you look at just generic YouTube names, um, really well-known people, like I'm just going to say this, it's ancient, but like Lele Pons, people like that, where you know that they don't actually they're not passionate about the material. They don't want to be confident in it. They detach themselves from it as opposed to current people like uh, Curtis Connor, who is a really funny comedian on YouTube and he makes the worst jokes, all of them intentionally. And he saves it either with editing or fully owning up to the fact that a joke that he just made was terrible because that puts you on the same side. He essentially creates this like, uh, oh, that wasn't funny. Maybe this isn't funny. And he's like, yeah, that wasn't funny. Yeah. And you're like, okay, now we're on the same right. page. There's that's, – that's another – you can disarm people sort of like judgmental attitude yes. with earnestness and humility in those moments, mm-hmm. which is why people like to self-deprecate. Yeah, but okay, can, that's that's what it is. That's No, you, you just described it better than what I was trying to say. It's It's a mixture of confidence and humility. Because if your confidence is not humble, it's not genuine. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, because I mean, that's really where. Here's here's a famous example of like two funny guys that most people are aware of, at least pe- people in our age group are aware of, uh, the Game Grumps. However, opinions yeah. on them vary, and I think mm-hmm. the reasoning behind that stems from not that not whether or not really are they funny or not, because. I, I think most people can agree that they are funny. Not all the time, but yeah, well, that they, they have that. Yes. They, have, they know how to do comedy, right? Yes. However. It's that they have they have made funny jokes, but their their catalog is so massive that there are just a lot of jokes that don't land. There that's true. There's a lot of jokes that don't land. And I think what one of the reasons why they did as well as they did was that there was an earnest sort of like getting to know these people type of thing that goes with it. So a lot of their show isn't just jokes. It's them telling stories about their lives and stuff. So much of their lives are on that channel that like a lot of people vicariously kind of know them. It's a very, the fact that I can have conversate like long conversations about Aaron Hansen, a man I've never met, never even seen face to face uh, with some of my friends. It's like, that's parasocial to an absurd degree and if i ever did meet him it would be the weirdest shit in the world because it's like oh yeah you just say like hi and then think about it for two weeks yeah and it's like (laughs) exactly like uh hello i've known you since i was a teenager but you've never met me before Mm -hmm. how are you doing you know like that's i think it's also a similar thing where 
because um, I, I, I was thinking the way you're describing that is similar to Critical Role. And one link that they have is both of them have created incredibly supportive environments for themselves in their comedy. Mm-hmm. So even if they don't feel confident in a joke, there's someone there to that's back them up. That's a good point. And that's what makes the joke yeah. better. They're not performing in front of an audience like live. Yeah. They're hanging they out with a they friend. They don't feel that. Yeah, they don't feel that shame or that guilt. Like I could never Twitch stream alone. I would have an amazing time like streaming with a, a friend. Mm. Because I I wouldn't feel confident in my jokes because there's no rapport. It's just kind of this weird silence. You get in your head when you're alone, which is why uh, group environments, group comedy, group storytelling um, is always, I think, just a little bit better. Yeah, yeah I, I think that that's kind of one of the reasons why I liked Game Grumps was that it was two guys sitting on a couch making jokes and playing mm-hmm. games. And that's a very familiar thing right like i i also i started watching let's plays and stuff because i wanted to see games that i couldn't afford (laughs) like i wanted to see them play through Hmm. um but like i stay i I came for that i stayed for the personalities i stayed for that humility and the and the funny ha-has of course because you get to see like their embarrassments that they own up to you get to see the things that they're passionate about the more that you watch so that that's what generates like a parasocial relationship and if you like the personality if you feel like it actually is a personality and not just a facade then it's it's this very weird kind of abstract concept of a friendship that you have it's like oh i know that guy i respect that guy and I'm sure he re- respects me in an abstract sense because they say that a lot. They're very nice and genuine about their fans. Yeah, I, I think that there's a unfortunate uh, side effect to all of that in the yes. sense that, like, when you – another example, um, because I, I know that, like, a lot of times they have, like, terms for their fans. So, like, Game Grumps use the term lovelies. I know uh, – Griffin yeah. McElroy would be like, hey, it's your dungeon master and your best friend, Griffin, or something like that. Like, he'll, hmm. he'll like, use that or something. Or Travis will use that or something yeah. like that to kind of, like, address their fans. And it's like, they set themselves up for people who are in, like, shaky sort of, like, points in their lives where they actually do need a friend and, like, are like don't have friends. Yeah. And so they hear that, and that's that feels really good when someone who's charming and funny says hey uh, it's your best friend yeah and that side effect is they feel like they've earned a friendship with this person you know yeah because it's like these people are nice and they want to be nice and they want to spread like just the general perspective of uh, a positive environment a positive relationship so when they say that they like people that they don't know you can get some really weird people that you don't actually like who think that you like them Mm -hmm. Like dangerous kind of people. Uh, It happens all the time. Actually, I kind of want to stem from that. I found that moving to a small town, um, like I've been around to, there's just restaurants and bars here. Like there's a bowling alley, but there's nowhere to meet people anymore, period. Like it's all online now. So I can't like uh, my grandparents, they used to go to like dance bars and stuff. People would go out and do things and there was stuff to do in the area. But now that uh, like shopping has moved online, hobbies have moved online, everything is centered in your house. It's been said before that you can't go out and find local friends. It's impossible. There's nowhere to look. 
unless you go to like a church or a college. There, there are some exceptions, but only rarely. Like I made friends yeah. at hobby stores for like in-person mm-hmm. Magic the Gathering and stuff. Yeah, or like adventures. Yeah, yeah, but stuff like it, that. It, you can actually meet friends and stuff. Uh, like, yeah, but that that with abs, yeah, yeah. W- with abstract concepts like the Game Grumps, where they just play video games, and the demographic for video games is seven billion people. It's it's like um, you, you can get people from all walks of life who don't have like, oh, I don't want to go play Magic the Gathering in some fucking nerd store, and then they're out of options. Or like me, who doesn't have a local game shop. There's not a lot you can look for locally. So the, the, the problem is that parasocial relationships are becoming more common because real personal relationships are, what's the word? They've been outdated by the current industry. Yeah. And it's also hard for people who have niche interests because now we live in a mm. world where there is like a ton of extremely oh. niche interests that are available yeah. to anybody with and the you internet. You can quickly connection. find a community all over the world of people with that interest. So you feel like they're there, but they're not yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like a lot of our community is separated by many, many miles between everybody. Yeah. The fact that any of us live in the same state uh, is just crazy mm. <laughs> to me. Like, like uh, Davi and I, the fact that we're in the same state, like, blew my mind. I was like, there's no, I thought nobody lived in this fucking armpit of america (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know um joe cat lives kind of in the middle of nowhere too Mm -hmm. it was a surprise up here um because we hung out not uh gen con uh, no it was gen con like rymac and a few other creators yeah uh like uh tabaxi cafe they are they're within a couple hours of me more or less so it's interesting to be like oh they're near, but still an hour drive is something that you can't regularly like, hey, I'm going to ha- come hang out. Let's play video games, eat potato chips. It's, there's more scheduling that goes on with that. Yeah, but but it's still cool. That's yeah, it's, accessible. It's good to have like, people not... Yes, that's accessible. Can't complain there. I, if I had a car, I think I would probably be more inclined to like actually go out and visit people. Uh, yeah, I think once I'm done writing this book, my plan is just to kind of explore the local area and fully delve into my hobbies and not do anything else for like a year and then come back swinging just because i want to be able to like actually go hang out with people and not worry about all the things that i have to do like writing books and stuff because if this book does well then i'll be able to afford like uh, a couple months of just just hanging out just doing stuff meeting people yeah yeah for sure I, uh, I, I, I would like just some, a cup of financial stability. That's, oh, that would man. be nice. It was a, it was a bloody battle to get here. Uh, like I was telling Jess, I think I've had, I counted it up 13 different jobs and I got fired from all but two of them. You got fired from 11 jobs? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Having, uh, a, a a certain form of autism was not very helpful with uh, communicating to people what needs to be done. And then a lot of the business owners were very psychotic, very um, manipulative or controlling. So it's like, I don't know what you want from me. Oh, I guess I'm gone. Okay, that's that's fair. I was going to make a joke that like every single time, like every job, you're in like a different uniform every time. And someone like opens a door and it's like, there's Logan jacking off in the broom closet again. <laughs> Like every job yeah, every and only two time. jobs are like, just don't let it happen again. <laughs> or they were nice about it. 
Yeah. I, those two jobs, I was just, I was the only janitor. That's what saved me. Ah, so you own that broom closet, so it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I had the key. Yeah, no one's going <laughs> to interrupt you now. Uh, that's funny. My two-hour jacking off <laughs> session is fully saved. They're like knocking on the door and you're like, look, do you want this place cleaned or not? Let me do my job how I do my job, all right? Huh, I guess he's not in there. I wonder what that noise is. <laughs> Oh, he's cleaning. That's what that is. <laughs> oh, he's probably got headphones on. That's it. But uh, yeah, it, it's tough. I, I've let's see. I worked a coffee shop, then an office depot, then another hmm. coffee shop, and a Barnes and Noble, uh, and then a warehouse, like an internet warehouse for a company. What what is that? An oh, just like warehouse? a warehouse that ships out stuff, kind of like an Amazon thing, but for a specific company. So it's like people hmm. make orders, then we would pick the orders from the the, uh, the warehouse and like get them all together, and then shippers would ship them out. Oh, uh, okay. But I, I was only there seasonally. I was only there for like three months, and they did not hmm. like me because uh, <laughs> I was listening to podcasts while I worked. So like they would get my try to get my attention, uh, and I wouldn't like immediately hear them. Uh, yeah, I, I hate that. How like you have a job to do. Except the environment and the other people who have that same job make the job impossible to do. Yeah. That's so true about yeah, so many I, places. I, I, I wouldn't want to go back. A lot but of I like the job. It just it's the people. Yeah, it's just the social yeah, environments. Yeah. Yes, a hundred, a hundred percent. If you could just like let me do what I need to do, then the job is done. Yeah, I worked as um an what was it? an activities director and uh i was on the land crew at a christian camp that was my first job it was a door-to-door -door salesman for a lawn care Ooh. service i worked for an inflatable backyard movie projector company called fun flicks i worked at a deli for uh one day and then i don't know why it was so tense but i walked in there and they gave me a 20 dollar paycheck and it was like i had a bomb on me they were like, get this guy out of here. And I didn't even know what I did wrong. Uh, I worked at a subway for a while. I worked at a barbecue pit. I was a door-to-door -door vacuum salesman. Um, I, was a, I worked for a land surveying company. And then I had like 15 different job titles at a hotel and banquet hall. Yeah, I worked at a banquet hall too. Yeah. That's a nice job because there's no one talking to you. You're just setting stuff up in a big empty room. Yeah, honestly, that one's not so bad. And they wanted me to come back uh, recently. But mm. again, transportation is kind of an issue. Um, ah, also, they would want me to cater to their weddings and shit. And I hate working weddings. I hate it. What's the problem? Um, love. I hate love. I don't like people oh, happy. And <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty miserable. I'm sick of it. Yeah, no. I, I it's just loud and like the, a lot of the weddings in my area, like at least at the banquet hall that I had, like if it's like a, a white person wedding, that's usually a, a safe only because like they get drunk and then they're Some like hot water here. Not no, no, no. Like because different cultures have different uh, customs. Yeah, no. So like, yeah, so like white people get drunk. And so like the mm. worst you can really expect of them is that they puke. And like, that's not that's fun, fair. but that's still kind of rare. They usually don't puke in the like banquet hall. They usually go to the bathroom to do that, thankfully. Mm. Um, and they're, they're usually generally like kind of like tame, I guess, is what I could call it. Like they're not like that rambunctious. Uh, but then if you have like a okay. Chaldean wedding or like a, 
some sort of like a Middle Eastern or Arabic wedding. It's fucking dancing from start to finish. They oh, will also yeah. try to pay you so if they could, so they could stay longer, so they could dance more. They love dancing, and which means that it's just like dubstep from like the moment they set oh, up. Um, it's just painfully loud. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've had like um, living in Central California. There's a, a large uh, Mexican community there. And a lot of our neighbors, whenever they had parties, it's like, yeah, that, that music's going to go for three days next door. And that's fine. I'm happy for them. I wish we as a culture could have stuff like that, but we're just too, uh, I don't know, capitalist whipped. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's I, the weddings are cool. Like, there's um, there was another oh, one I'm yeah. trying to think of. Oh, yeah, Mexican weddings are fun, actually, because they a lot of times – They'll just get mariachi bands for the wedding. They just like, yeah, sure. I know a guy who works a mariachi band. We'll get him to play our wedding, and then they do. And like, same. You come out with like, which it's ironic because I was saying like my grandparents they went to dancing things all the time. We just as a culture decided to stop dancing. I don't know why that is. I mean, we still have like, yeah, there, there's still like some dances in some of the like white people weddings, but it's like. <laughs> It's square it, dancing. Yeah, or or it's just like not lively. Like no. Everyone's a stiff. It, it's just people getting drunk. It's literally just, hey, is there an open bar? And then that's it. They just go to the bar and they just drink mm. the whole night. And like uh, I mean, you know, that suits some people. I'm trying it's to docile. Think. There's a there's there's another group of people that have such a fucking cool wedding and I forgot. Albanians! Albanians have fucking banger weddings. Okay, sorry. I was like, because we have like ethnic groups in my area that just like have hmm. a specific kind of like style of wedding. And man, Albanians are at a party. Like, like, hmm. yeah, so like Middle Eastern people, like they like to dance and stuff, but a lot of the older folks who aren't like into the dancing are just sort of like grumps. And they get a little, they get, they realize that you're a server and they don't have to tip you. And then they just fucking. They'll just like run you into the ground. Like I want tea and I want it this way and I want that and blah blah blah. And uh, so you're just like you're not getting a tip for any of this shit. So you're mm -hmm. just like running and, and helping these people uh, and and wasting your time when you have other stuff you need to be doing. Yeah, it's actually that's funny because I had a couple of Australian friends visit uh, America a while ago. One of them for the first time, and they were so confused by the concept of tipping. And I thought they like one of them was just pulling my leg because that's the kind of people that they are. But no, they genuinely were like, I don't. Why? Why don't they just pay them more? And I was like, yeah, right? Yep. Uh, so, it doesn't make yeah. any sense. No. Uh, but it does make sense. Well, actually, no, I'm sorry. It does make sense from a certain point of view, which is not the common people's point of view. <laughs> because it's not a logical point of view. It's it's a it, workaround. Yeah, it's a, it is a, a, a fiscal sort of uh, thing for a very small group of people that own restaurants. It's basically benefiting them and nobody else. Yeah. And they have enough uh, of a sway. Honestly, for the most part, it's franchise owners that really get it. Uh, what do you mean by that? Just like people that uh, run McDonald's, like larger restaurant chains, franchises, who, it, sorry, who, who make a lot of money off of the fact that minimum wage is not livable. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yes. That's correct. I, which is uh, one of the reasons why I don't want to go back to getting a day job. Um, well, I've been, are, I've been unemployed oh. like since September last year. Well, honestly, good on you. That's, that's <laughs> a good place to be this year if, if it's even remotely sustainable. 
Because the day to day is better. Yeah, it was it was okay at first. Like I had I was working on uh the third episode of the Peace Guild, so like I had a thing to do. I was getting unemployment money, so I, and I had like a nice cushion, and I was like set, set essentially for a while, yeah, yeah, for a while. After that came out, twenty twenty one, I was like, all right, this is the year I'm going to do all this stuff, and like, holy shit, were there some ups and downs? I had my first like major panic attack. I had oh, like, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> I had like um a, a fucking crisis. Because I turned 30 years old and I was like, oh. uh, I'm dead now. I'm dying. <laughs> My life has ended. Um, <laughs> then I had I had a lot of anxiety recently about the fact that uh, we all die. Not to get morbid on the podcast. Oh, but no, hey, I've, I've fully accepted that. I'm, I'm fine and happy with it. You know, I envy that because I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm very I get, I get very anxious about the fact that like we all die and like I think that's actually maybe the only comfort is the fact that we all die. Yeah, it's, it's like the, like emphasis on not on death but all everything dies. So there's there's like so many animals that die without ever worrying about it. There's so many people who die so early compared to like what you've been able to accomplish and experience that like there's no real right rhyme or reason to complain about the fact that you don't get to live another year especially when it's difficult it's just like you know i'm here to enjoy today right now and if there isn't another today that's fine i i you know that's that's logical my brain is telling me everything that you said makes sense <laughs> but like my heart is like i like being alive though hmm. <laughs> you know it's like i think that's I, the problem I, like, yeah, I, I, like I could to... take it or leave <laughs> Right, like I, I like not being dead material that can be mm. repurposed for other living beings. I kind of like being my own organization of atoms and stuff. Mm. Like you like thinking and being. Yeah, it's great. Uh, <laughs> it, it sucks, but it's also not so bad sometimes. Yeah, and like those moments make it really nice. And so it's like I don't they want do. that to end. I like, I like being able to go to sleep knowing I'll wake up the next day. That feels good. <laughs> that, both the happy and the negative moments end, so it makes sense that them as a collective probably end too. It's just yeah, it, it, nah, it, yeah, it kind of yeah. helps you enjoy them that much more. It's like you know, every every moment that you live is technically a one once in a lifetime moment because you'll never live it again the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, one thing I have uh, thankfully um, been able to like cope with is change. I know a lot oh. of people who don't like change, who are like, I've been really addicted anxious. to it. It's not good. What's that? I, I've been addicted to change, and it's it's tough to be addicted to change when you're trying to be content. Because it's like, mm. oh, I, I kind of have everything that uh, I was afraid of not being able to have a year ago, but w why do I want something different now? I mean, it's, I mean, that's just a human condition. We yeah. always desire and want. No, there's definitely a way to escape it. Uh, it's a whole Buddhist perspective. I think that kind of is nirvana is um, to not want. And it's a really interesting concept to uh, there, there's a, a way of living where instead of doing something because you want something, it's uh, action without motivation. You're planting a tree without without thinking about the fruit. You're planting a tree because you're planting a tree. So just doing what you do for the sake of doing it is always a lot more uh, gratifying than doing it 
to get something, especially when there's a risk of not being able to get that thing. I mean, that is a that's a healthy way of looking at it. I, I, I think I think both points stand in that like it is still the human condition and the and the Buddhist philosophy and religion preaches to like kind of sort of uh in not fight because that that denotes like a violence there's no violence here but it's more of like to kind of let go of that and yeah. try and uh center yourself i suppose yeah, I, you know, it's, it's got it's got its whole it's it's a deep irony where you like fight without fighting you act without acting it's it's mm -hmm. the silliest thing but the moment that you understand a fraction of it it's like wow this is so interesting like i obviously i don't i don't I'm not fully able to practice what I preach yet. I'm fucking 24. So I'm hoping I'll get there. And I think figuring it out and researching it is just one of the early steps to actually being content with the day-to-day. -day. Uh, yeah, it's... It is hard to... Uh, what is the phrase? I'm like? I guess, like, I, th I think the Buddhist philosophy likes to talk about your personhood and how that's another thing that you have to let go the self right yeah the ego the ego yeah and i think i'm very much married to my ego in the sense of mm. i not 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 to say that i'm like uh like an ambitious tyrant who craves like yeah, well, power that, or whatever but that, like in the sense yeah. that i want i like being i like who i am as like an individual and i think mm -hmm. about you know my needs and wants a lot because that's just sort of yeah what there's I have. A, there's a special strength in being content with your identity and the the buddhist philosophy is not the correct one even by its own definition there's no correct way to live it's just a, a type of like a way of life it's not the ultimate contentment it's just something to pursue by trying not to pursue it which is is not writing off any other perspective of like being happy being who you are because that is equally fulfilling yeah and i guess i guess i'm trying to figure out i mean life is a journey of figuring this out but like at the balance between all that stuff so because hmm. i i don't think that being attached to your personhood is a bad thing no uh and i also think that being able to let go of wants that don't make you happy that only cause you suffering is also mm. a good thing you Being know able like to identify them as another good one yeah yeah there's a lot of there's a lot you can take i mean it's the reason why buddhism is such a fascinating religion it's more of a way of life but that's semantics yeah yeah i, I i'm i'm going off of the civ yeah. uh okay. civ five sorry yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh it, it it's one of those things where it's like every, I mean, every worldview, uh, especially ones attached to religions, claim to sort of like have maybe not the answer, but an answer. Like, yeah, a lot if, of them do. Yeah. If you ask the question why, all of them raise their hand. Yeah. And, I like that. That's true. And like, for me, I don't care about the why as much. Like, mm -hmm. That never really interested me because it's like, well, there's no way any of us are going to know because we are. Oh, it's an endless we are less, pursuit. We are less than insignificant. Like, yeah, it's more of a uh, I, my question, I guess, is a what? Because like the fact that we exist doesn't make sense to me. Hmm. Because wouldn't it make more sense if there was just 
nothing ever at all mm-hmm. anywhere. Oh, just 100%. nothing. That would make way more sense to me. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting lesson is the fact that fundamentally by definition the fact that it exists means that the world that we live in cannot make sense. Like the yeah, things existing at all is like why though? Like mm-hmm. or or what is this even? Like oh, that's what is happening. That's the eternal question that uh, I don't think anyone can really ra- raise their hands. <laughs> Honestly, just like walk outside and like look around, right? And yeah. just kind of, you know, you're just looking think, at like nature and trees mm-hmm. and birds and you're like, what the fuck is happening right yeah. now? What is all this shit? <laughs> just the level of complexity and functionality and at the same time, the total lack of functionality. I think that's the one question where like a Buddhist and maybe a Hinduist would raise their hand. And then when you ask them to explain themselves, they just smile at you. <laughs> like they don't say anything they're just like yeah that's the answer and you're like what the, f- the fuck you <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's i mean there's definitely a lot of uh obviously historically there's a lot of crossover because uh, uh the yeah. buddha was a hindu uh guy mm-hmm. at, f- at first before he uh sort of invented yeah. or discovered or whatever you want to say of uh, buddhism uh, became the symbol of uh, sort of it's yeah it's a it's a weird divide that honestly doesn't really need to be addressed it's that that is just an argument yeah uh i like arguing <laughs> yeah no that's fair um, no it's okay i i'll just tell uh, we'll move on because i like this yeah. uh philosophy and, and religion talk uh i think i do it too much in podcasts yeah well i think this is maybe the first time that we've actually like crossed into that territory here but it's it's Mm. never i mean this is mostly we're just like posing questions and Mm -hmm. like and then posing answers and just reflecting on them so there's nothing really bad happening with this it's not like i never like i'm never gonna say that buddhists are wrong no i'm I'm never gonna say that anyone's really wrong i could say that historical practices have been damaging yeah yeah it's really like actions undertaken by people in the name of faith often lead to more suffering but uh i digress we need to talk about dnd a little more because a little bit more yeah i feel like we 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 touched on it earlier i was gonna i talked about my blade singer a bit but um can you share with us maybe i want to know more about uh uh, what's her name uh from the seeker's guide the seeker oh she's just she's the seeker yeah who is the seeker the Seeker is uh, a character that I designed. Uh, they are non-binary, which uh, was a really interesting kind of direction to go in. I really like exploring territory that I'm unfamiliar with from a respectful angle. So like uh, with that book, I did The Seeker. And with the current one, I'm exploring kind of Polynesian cultures, which is very dangerous to approach. But it's so exciting. Like I want to be able to respect it. Um, and I learned a lot about just people's identities as, as a whole, um, talking to people about the character, kind of uh, understanding the concept fully. So the seeker is, that's an interesting question that I can't directly answer because the seeker's guide to twisted taverns has a complete puzzle inside of it full of like riddles, misdirection. There's a whole poem that leads you to figure out who not just the seeker, but um, a certain number of other entities in the book actually are. Because their identity isn't explicitly stated and it's on purpose. And people can find out what their identity is once we do the physical launch. Um, but essentially, they're just an absolute arbiter. Like, they're intentionally enigmatic in a lot of... <laughs> 
aspects of the way that the character goes. Like no one knows what their staff is or why it works the way that it works. No one really knows their motive or their angle. It seems that for the most part, all this character is trying to do is stir up drama. They're just a theater kid that's trying to get stories to happen and people to be interested in things. Okay, so kind of like a, a Loki-type character in a way. A lot, yeah. Very similar, you could say. Uh, never d directly involved or uh, instigating things in a way that they are a part of things. Generally, they try and instigate things so that other people can deal with them. I see. Yeah, very capitalist in nature. The invisible hand of the market, sort of. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> That that was a joke. I hope I hope that it's uh, talking about this now. Anybody who was on the fence about getting it, I mean, I just asked the question who the seeker is, and I didn't get an answer. And the only way to get that answer, yeah, get that guy, get that seeker's guide. It's a tough question. Um, also, now, so you designed the seeker for this book, but what about Stibbles? Yes. That was actually a character you played, right? Yeah, uh, it was the first character that um, I put together that I was like, you know, there's a theme to this character, aside from uh, I made a monk next to it. And then from that theme developed a genuine character. So I think with Stibbles, the idea was what if the Travelocity gnome was a tra like traveled all over the world because they were running from their past? Like, what if they just had a really tragic origin story? <laughs> And then just running all over the world, avoiding it. <laughs> He's just like super duper, like ah, travelocity, but like there's a darkness mm. behind his eyes. Like I have to yeah, keep moving. Uh, I have to keep running. <laughs> it, it's it's a there's a profound level to it, but it's also just it it, it comes off as extremely comedic. Uh, his little backstory is that um, he used to be in like a forest gnome colony where they would dig little burrows, and he was one of the people who would like basically build houses for people he would dig burrows for people and uh he saved up a bunch of money he fell in love with a girl that he made a house for and then uh they got married and on their honeymoon she fell off a cliff into a waterfall and died as one does yes as one does um and his burrow got like flooded in so he lost everything there and all that he had was just the money that he saved up for their honeymoon so he was just like you know i'm gone and I think initially his entire his entire character arc as it started out was I am traveling south. As far as that goes, he probably doesn't even know where south is. But eventually he met like a jungle druid and the druid like taught him a bunch of stuff about just how to be in line with nature. Stibbles becomes a very um, eccentric character who's willing to try anything once or twice to his own detriment he becomes a werewolf by doing crack <laughs> um <laughs> it's like laced with a lycanthropy disease it was an interesting situation he was um, a light crack so, dope yeah he was a lycra <laughs> uh, and so at, the an original idea for the book was uh, I love in video games being a summoner or having pets or companions. Like even in the oldest PC games, it's like, how do I get these familiar spirits, these little buddies that are next to me that shoot guys for me? So when putting the book together, I was like, okay, I have a druid who really likes animals and is up for anything. Why not make him just go and gather a bunch of them? Um, he's a silly little dude. He actually died in oh. uh arcane arcade oh no he was stabbed or 
either his throat was cut or he was fully decapitated by one of the party members possessed by Grotzd. Hats off. Hats off and dicks yeah, out for stipples, everybody. Uh, ironically, there is a tavern in the Seeker's Guide called uh, the Tavern at Death's Door that you go to when you die. And he is there. Mm. So there's, there's a sort of a timeline to all this, actually. That's cool. You're building an extended universe. I am. I have a full document for it. That's awesome. I like being able to reuse characters even after they are you know, taken care of, yeah, so to speak. Or a lot of people at the end of a campaign, you turn all the surviving player characters into NPCs for <laughs> the next place, the, the next time that they visit that setting. It's always a refreshing little moment. It's not, yeah, I, I've, I've had some ideas about how to do that in, in campaigns that I might do in the future. Unfortunately, though, I'm only DMing one campaign and it's Curse of Strahd and we played two sessions at Gen Con, which you might recall, and then uh, we just haven't played mm -hmm. since because everyone's schedules are not agreeing with each other. Oh, man. October has yeah, been a tales. fucking <laughs> busy month for everybody. Okay. Um, yeah. Fell is just not available. Yeah. Oh, my God. Everybody and his <laughs> grandma are having a wedding. Like. Yeah, geez. Just. And he's he's invited to all of them. And it's like. I haven't been to a wedding since my brother got married in 2014, which... Wow. Uh, I was 2013. How old is Phil? He's, he's like... I, I don't want to guess. He's, he's <laughs> about your age, I think. Okay. Yeah. Then, yeah, because I went to my sister's wedding. My brother's wedding was uh, in 2020. I think Jacob's wedding was also in 2020. My sister's wedding was this year, so... I guess it's just like a, a rite of passage for being in your early to mid 20s as everyone around you gets married. I guess. And then I assume when you're approaching your 30s, like, um, wow, that is a big blank to draw. Bo Burnham in his song uh, Turning 30, mm. how he mentions that people start just having kids at 30. So I'm, I'm not ready for that. Yeah. Now that my, my wedding age has passed. Yeah, I... Uh... Most of my cousins are still unmarried. Hmm. Almost. In fact, I think uh, two my, my two oldest cousins, who are both older than me, uh, married a while ago. One of them got married in Cincinnati, and I was at... I think I was at Gen Con in 2015 <laughs> when that oh. happened. So I just, I literally had that plan and like, I can't go to your wedding there because I already bought mm. tickets for this thing. And this thing was like, I planned this and I'm not going to not yeah. go, be, you know, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I love you both, but uh, I'm going to have to be absent for that. L'chaim. What's the good wedding or whatever? There's a phrase for that. I forget what it is. Best of luck, well wishes. Whatever. Yeah, I think that's what that is. And then my other cousin got married, but I don't know. I might have went to that wedding, but I think I was a lot younger when that happened. Yeah, a hmm. lot. Most of the weddings happened when I was like early twenties, and then it's just been. Uh, I've had friends who've gotten married who didn't invite me to their weddings. Ooh. Um, and I'm weird. not friends with them anymore. <laughs> I don't think yeah. it's because of that. I just think that uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe they, it's just how the relationship was. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, a question like family-wise, are you on the younger end of your like generation? No, I think I'm maybe 
Hmm. I'm one of the more older cousins on both sides because uh, I have like okay. one older cousin on my dad's side and then I have two older cousins on my mom's side. Hmm. But I'm second and third oldest respectively. And then we've got okay. younger cousins. So like, yeah, I'm sure when they get married and stuff, I'll be invited. But yeah. I'll be like 40 by the time that shit happens. Hmm. Bunch of youngins. Yeah. Hopefully I'll have my shit together by then. <laughs> if not, who cares? Right. Well, let's uh, let's close this out with um, a D&D story. Do you have any cool, fun anecdotes of uh, D&D that you've experienced in your years? Oh, just in a general sense. Man, I haven't played like full D&D in a while. The last one I did was um, Fallen Monk's little four-shot campaign that was super fun. Is there like a theme or a motif or maybe a type of event you're looking for? Oh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. How about something that happened that um, everything went wrong? Maybe do you have one of those where uh, it, it all seemed like it was going to work out in the beginning and then it just uh, it was like a chain reaction of bad events? Uh, I've told the story a few times, but I guess this is a different set of listeners. Uh, the ending of my live game on Arcane Arcade, or the ending of the, the first season, I had a TPK, and I was the DM. And the the way that it went, it it felt really obvious to me, uh, because I, the problem was at the very beginning of it, I was an extremely convincing villain. So the things that the villain said were they completely disarmed the party and the party stopped asking questions, even though I kept adding like, hey, something's not right here. You should go investigate. And they just never did because the, the villain's plot was I don't want to say that it was particularly genius. It was very clever, very well thought out. All the steps were there before the party even showed up, but they didn't try anything. So uh, they go in, um, one of the party members gets turned into a, uh, a tree frog by the villain and is replaced by a doppelganger who hangs out with the party. Um, so I told the player, like, hey, just play as yourself if you were a doppelganger pretending to be you. And hopefully the party will figure it out and then come save you. And they left with the doppelganger. So in the middle of the night, the doppelganger went back. The friend, uh, effectively, they failed to save them. And then they were like, hey, where'd he go? Oh, shoot, let's go back there. And they ran back in, it just completely disorganized, frantically running around. And they entered a very obvious death trap where they're led into a courtyard. The villain goes up a spire and starts casting spells at them while creatures are being summoned inside of the courtyard. Oh, God. Don't stay inside the courtyard. Find a way out and then go up that tower. And they just didn't. They just fell one by one inside that area. And um, they had an item that uh, effectively rewrote time and respawned them whenever something horrible happened. But because that had already happened like two or three times, they didn't want to keep using the same theme. And this object is so... Like, the object that they had that did that was very, very strange in the way that it functioned. So I was like, okay, everyone died. We'll see you guys next week. And, uh, yeah, the party was just pissed off at me. <laughs> and I was like, look, this guy, before you met him, he sent a giant horrific monster to come and abduct your friend. And it was extremely effective. 
it also picked you up with a giant hideous monstrosity that's very clearly an amalgam of other living things that he killed. Yet just because he was a really smooth talker and he had a British accent doesn't mean he was in the right. That doesn't make sense. If you're a smooth talker with a British accent, then you have to be in the right. <laughs> they just they just forgot the fact that he was an absolute monster. Like, it was already established. But the moment that he's like, hey, here's a nice little dinner. I have a super cool chef. Like, uh, here's your little bedding. You're here to visit for just a moment. And then I had this whole thing where they could go up to a certain area and find out that he was one of the characters' father. And they didn't do that. They just died. So it was really upsetting all around that they didn't explore this extremely obviously explorable place. They ran right into a death drop, the jaws clamped down, and they blamed me. Uh, I, I do feel like I'm getting only one side of this story. <laughs> no, absolutely, yeah. Uh, the fact that there was tension means that I did something wrong. And maybe the, the red herrings were too obvious. I feel like that's definitely a dangerous thing. If, like, I, I should have, as the storyteller, realized that the players didn't have a good hook. Like, that, that a, a hook designed for them to notice. Mm -hmm. Like, they weren't just inherently suspicious. So I should have raised suspicion a bit more. That was definitely a major error. It, but, yeah, sometimes that yeah. stuff is hard and you have to just kind of... It's a learning point. Exactly. Yeah, it's like you're ne you're never going to get the story fully right. None of your campaigns are going to be perfect, and there's always going to be a session that either falls flat or just is boring, or something goes horribly wrong that nobody planned. But that's just a part of a story. That's to me, that's almost fun to to experience those general follies. But you know, not every everyone shares the same opinion. A lot of people just go to have fun and to beat up some bad guys instead of tell like a super complex maybe convoluted story yeah and then it's like i ask oh so did you guys play next week you're like, you're like oh no they disowned me they won't talk to me anymore <laughs> after all that <laughs> yeah no, we opened up a, a few different campaigns and i tried to restructure that one to make it more enjoy enjoyable for them but it just it kind of fell off i lost interest yeah yeah that's another thing too uh some people assume that they're going to just be um, eternally interested in a in a game, but it's like, yeah. I, I don't know. Like the idea that like a game will always be interesting is a bit naive, but not yeah. because that, it's. You, oh, sorry. Continue. No worries. I I was gonna say it's it's not because like games can't be interesting for long periods of time that it can happen it's just when you are doing homebrew especially yeah. unless you've really thought it out and you have an end in mind you know what the end goal is gonna be maybe you have a, a path to get there but instead maybe mm -hmm. you just have like a lot of waypoints and and like there's like seven different ways they can get to that ending but that's the ending it's kind of fun to just, it's almost like playing pachinko. You just put the, like, the party up top and you see where they land. Like, okay, yeah. let's just see what happens, you know? Um, and that, that can make that is, it interesting for a DM. It can. It definitely can when you have branching paths. And that's actually the, the book that I'm writing now. Um, it's a 20-week adventure, and each adventure is hopefully meant to be a session. And by the end of the, the campaign, you end up at the same place. But you can go to... Uh, like each week you get a selection of two to three, maybe four locations that you can go to. And depending on which one you pick, there are good things and bad things that happen. But 
I, I did want to note that another problem with stuff like that is just having an expectation for your story and your characters it can just be inherently dangerous. Cause like mm-hmm. if, if you have a story that you want to tell, you can't tell it through other people who don't know that story. You have to let them tell a story that just happens organically and just be ready for it. So if you have an idea that you want to present, do it yourself. If you have a character that you want to have a specific story, write a book. If you want to play a game without a planned ending, just play D&D. There are very different ways to go about that, but it's it's more fun not to plan, I think. I mean, yeah, you got to be able to like allow yourself to be surprised as a DM. I was playing um Yes. I finished up a campaign, it was like a Star Wars game that was being DM'd by Ben. I was I was like this little force user like uh but I was like clearly like dark side user. Um and we were fighting against uh long story short, uh we had to do some time travel shenanigans. <laughs> we're go- traveling around the Star Wars canon and we're fucking shit up Amazing. and it's great great fun. <laughs> but like at the end of every session, Ben was like, so what are you guys thinking of doing next week so I know what to plan? Because, like, yeah. he wasn't going to just plan everything out, especially if we have a time machine. It's like, I need to kind of know your trajectory so I can have something ready for you. Mm-hmm. And that would, you know, I think that kept it interesting for him for the most part. And then, like, when we got to the ending, there wasn't even a final battle. We actually convinced this Sith to join us in killing their master because, you know, they're great That's at that. How, yeah. And then we, ju- and then mm. I decided I wanted to take over the galaxy myself. So. <laughs> ain't that just the way. Ain't that the way. Um, and it, yeah, we, it was a really cool little epilogue. But like, That's I don't really think, cool. uh, you know, it wasn't planned. Like he had a whole yeah. final fight plan that I just sort of. Like, we bypassed by being diplomatic and making a really cogent argument, yeah. you know? Just have a rough idea and let them go. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to play D&D. Because you don't want to enter it unprepared. Like, with Tall Tales sometimes, it, I found it really hard to DM because I had to make sure that the whole stream was prepared. And then splitting my mind between uh, tech and improv is not, not easy to do when you're creating a story from scratch. Yeah. So, it's, it's good to find a middle ground for whatever your and your party's comfort zones are for sure uh and on that note it looks like we are reaching our time limit so i think we are logan why don't you tell everybody where they can find you uh there's a funny little channel that you can check out it's gonna be weird to check out currently but uh runesmith that's that's the thing that i do on youtube and if you look up uh, those two book titles stibble's codex or uh, the seeker's guide you'll find them under the company Eldermancy. We also work with Ghostfire, who uh, everything's hosted on their website, but you can find it either way. Yep, you heard it here, folks. Go check out uh, Logan on Channel Runesmith. And uh, Logan, thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, I had a good time. Thanks for having me.